The New Grad Physio podcast is hosted by Andy Barker, consultant MSK and sports physiotherapist, private practice owner and the founder of The New Grad Physio. Having experienced his own rapid rise from student to dream job just 15 months after graduating, Andy knows exactly what it takes to accelerate your skills and fly up the promotion ladder faster than you ever thought possible. Having previously worked in his dream role at the Leeds Rhinos as the head of physio and rehab, Andy now consults with a number of individual elite athletes and within professional rugby, football and dance whilst running his own group of private practice clinics. He started the new grad physio to help student and new grad therapists just like you overcome the specific challenges you face at the start of your therapy career, helping you to dodge the common pitfalls that can cause confusion and overwhelm with your clinical practice and stop you getting the patient results and the jobs or promotions you deserve. This podcast will deliver you actionable advice, will help you make sense of your patient assessments, reason your treatments and patient rehab to get results well beyond your level of experience. You will also discover what you need to do to open doors, to create opportunities for yourself, so you can enjoy the best possible start to life as a new grad physio. So, let's get started. So we're back with a special guest episode on the New Grad Physio podcast. This is the first episode in a short series with some hand-picked non-therapists, so practitioners that work as part of the MDT team to support patients and athletes in a wide variety of different areas, but are not physios, they're not sports therapists, they're not sports rehabbers. Um, I've learned loads from today's guest, so I'm really excited to sort of bring him on and to, to record this episode, to, to catch up with him and also to pick his brain about what goes into becoming an international SNC coach. So strength and conditioning clearly is a, a massive area and a big area for, for therapists. If we look at it in real simple terms, as a, say, a physio or a sports therapist, a sports rehabber, we sort of do two, sorry, three things. We, we assess patients, athletes, we treat them and we rehab them. So rehab for me is, is almost the same as training. But I, I know from my own, uh, my own career and from many of the students and new grads that I work with, that rehab is a real area that that people struggle with. And I think particularly when we face with more active patients, when we're working with athletes in sport, and I think the main reason for this is not really covered in any depth at all at, at university. So then when you are working with more active patients or you are working in, in sport, then it can be really difficult to actually program and actually implement um, end-stage rehab because we don't really have the experience in sort of doing it. And if you don't understand how to program rehab and how to, I guess, recondition an athlete or a patient back to where they need to be, it can be really tough to get the, the end result. So who better to help us out with those sort of uh, problems uh, than today's guest is a, is a great mate of mine, he's a top bloke, and he's also a top um, strength and conditioning coach. So welcome to the podcast, Chris Black. Thanks very much, Pat. Thanks for having me. So I know um, Chris Black is Blackie, so if I'm referring to him as Blackie, you know, you know why. Um, so in terms of, to just kick us off, um, Tell us, tell us, Blackie, just a bit about your journey from maybe where you, you started out, how you got into SNC, and and getting, guess where you've worked and, and what you're doing at the moment. Cool, pal. Uh, yeah, so um, my journey into SNC is probably not like the atypical one. Um, I kind of did a, a bit of a variance, in, more in the fact that I didn't do sports science as my undergraduate, um, so I kind of like had to go down a different pathway. Uh, what made me want to pursue a career in sport really was um, 
I almost like kind of accidentally fell into it. I knew I wasn't good enough to play. Like like all people who work in sport, we're all failed athletes, aren't we? So uh, when you when you when you're not good enough to play the sport, you're technically not good enough, um, and you kind of have to find other avenues to hang on. But I um, I always enjoyed like the fitness element to it. I always kind of knew I wasn't good enough, or I didn't have the physical attributes to to play. I, I play I played rugby, obviously. Um, and I never had the physical attributes, but I always enjoyed the fitness element to it. I always enjoyed kind of lifting weights and 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 that kind of side of it uh, and educating myself on that. So I always kind of knew that I would eventually uh, want to be in sport. And kind of like in, an, in a nutshell, I always wanted to have a job where um, you got paid to go to the gym as, as a daily job. So uh, I kind of thought, how am I going to do that? So I, I actually um, started off as, as a PT. Um, in Virgin Active in Leeds and um, I always I was a terrible PT by the way because when I was first starting off I always um, trained people like how I wanted to train and I always knew that I wanted a career in sports so some 60 year old lady would come in for a, a you know lose a bit of weight and I'd be like right we're going to do some power cleans today more because I just wanted to coach power cleans and, and develop myself in that sense you know um, and then suppose uh, I, I started an internship at Leeds. So um, Leeds Carnegie used to train down at, at Virgin where, where we obviously, or where I, where I was working from. And uh, they, all the players used to come in and I used to chat to the players and, um, you know, I just chat to the coaches, always kind of pestering them, can I come down and watch a session? Can I come down and, and what, observe you guys and stuff? Um, so, and then eventually, eventually they let me come in. So, uh, that was a sort of great learning experience in my first kind of delve into into uh, professional sport. Um, uh, I used to like I used to go down on the Thursdays. I think it was um, just for the day, and I used to just fully immerse myself in in the gym environment. And like I'll talk about it a bit later, but I, as an intern, um, I was just never standing still. You know, I, I, I'm sure you've you've come across it again in your practice, Andy, but when interns come into professional environment and stand in the corner with their arms folded or leaning against the wall, it just has a really bad perception. And you, you kind of get an, uh, an inkling that this person's not really made for sport because, um, you know, on the flip side, when I went into Leeds Carnegie, I was asking the coaches questions, asking the players questions, you know, and kind of dive fully into it. Um, probably in, in a little bit annoying for the coaches, you know, to be constantly asked questions all the time, but I think, uh, you know, I was quite selfish in my development and I wanted to, to learn more and ask questions and probe and ask why you're doing that. And um, and it eventually led to a job because um, James Parks, who was the assistant at Leeds Carnegie, he ended up getting a job at Castleford Tigers. And he um, he rang me up uh, one day and said, I, I'd just been offered a job um, in like sales, I think it was for like, you know, 30, I think it was 30, 32K a year um, for a job. And then Parksy rang me up and said, uh, I've got a job at Castleford as the assistant. It's 12 grand a year. Um, I've got, I had the option of 10, 10 more GPS units or an assistant. And I chose an, I chose an assistant. And I was like, great, I'm being compared to like 10 GPS. <laughs> you know what I mean? So uh, that was a bit of a, a come down as well. But you know, myself and my wife talked about it. It's a career I wanted to jump into. So I just had to take the plunge, you know. And, and uh, as I say, yeah, my first job in sport was um, my professional sport, getting paid to do it was 
it was 12 grand a year at Castleford Tigers, which at the time was was the wild, wild west of, of rugby league, you know. So plenty of stories there. But yeah, that's how that's how I get into it, mate. More like kind of fell into it. And also the sense of I went from playing rugby. Um, and I, me- I remember clearly one pre-season, I think maybe, you know, 30, 40 people turned up for pre-season and all these younger guys and uh, all these other wingers. And I just said, listen, uh, I'm probably not going to play this year. So I remember speaking to the coach, Tommy McGee, at the time. This is my old um, kind of semi-pro team. I just said, can I take the warm-up? Can I, um, you know, sort of come into an SNC role and I want to sort of coach and develop in, in, in that sense? And, and he let me do that, probably because he didn't want me to play. Um, <laughs> He wanted me to run water and, and, and do the warm-ups. So I always remember the boys clearly being like, Blackie, what you, why, why are you telling us what to do? What, what are you doing? You know, why, why aren't you on the line with us? Uh, and that was my first sort of like cut-off point from, from being a player to being, um, to being a coach, I suppose. But uh, that, was, that was it. That was my transition in the sport, mate. Cool, yeah. So there's plenty, plenty of stuff probably to... To, to pick apart with that, I guess. Um, so for, firstly, for the record, I, I'm not a failed athlete. I probably could have played if I wanted to, but I chose, chose to follow a career in physio. That's, no, a, I, compl- you know I've that's a complete lie. Yeah, like, yeah, we've actually shared a, shared a team, haven't we, on, on a few occasions. And uh, the one thing I want to say about, about, about Blackie is uh, he's, uh, he's, he's a pretty good athlete, probably uh, uh, a bit better than me. Um, I always, I always um, I'll tell you this story. When I remember when we did, did a 10K together. I think it was the least 10K, in, I want to say, in like, 2014, 15, maybe. And we and, and while say we didn't train together in terms of the running, we had a good dig at the, the sort of training stuff and we'd set our stall out with both wanted to run sub 40 minutes. So again, it's fair fair effort for like non like say we both had a background in playing rugby, not not running. Uh, and we trained together. I mean, like we, we were working together, weren't we, at the time in, in the gym most days at the training ground. Yeah. And I remember we were, I'm sure it was about like seven, eight K and we were flying, like the splits were pretty good. And then I just, I just had nothing. I had nothing left. Like my legs just went, and I can remember running down like Kirkstall Road, like back towards Leeds City Centre, and and Blackie, Blackie was off like down there, and I, I've not not liked you since that day. You got under, yeah, no, yeah. you got under some forty. I think I got forty minutes and about forty seconds, and it killed me, killed me off. Yeah, but, um, yeah well, that's that's interesting though because like I I remember that clearly, and I'd never done anything like it before in my life. And I remember I said to you, uh, "What's a good time for a ten k?" And this is on the start line. You were like, oh, I'm going for sub 40. And I was like, all right, well, I'll do that then as well. And just like that's I, probably that's my what I was talking about earlier about uh, I enjoyed the fitness element. I enjoyed the mindset element to it. Like I always prided myself on um, not being as talented, but working harder than everyone else. And again, that, that has influenced my strength and conditioning career all the time because uh, I know I value, value players like that as well. And I've seen players like that who perhaps don't have the talent but have the the attitude and the mental the mental side and, and you know I just if I, if I set a goal I want to, to sort of achieve it you know I think that's what you were sort of alluding to as well with the say like students that again you've come across in your time working in, in sport and those students the difference between a student coming in and like saying having their arms folded leant against a, a filing cabinet in the corner or against a, a rack in the gym or those that are probably a bit like you were and are asking those questions or asking to help out, getting their hands dirty a little bit. And it, and whilst, you know, you might have two different students like that, you know, and clearly they've probably got the same knowledge base at the same point of their career, but it does, it does tell you a lot about that person, doesn't it? And it gives you 
that impression that they are keen to learn. They probably have got a lot to learn at the stage that they're at, but yeah. then you're more willing as a, as a physio or as an SNC coach to, to put some time and effort into them. And those are the kind of people that you want around, don't you? And if opportunities yeah. do, do come up, and that's that's certainly what, what happened to me. And uh, I'm sure like what you said with, with James Parks, when he saw he saw that in you, when the job came up, he was like, you know, you probably are a bit raw. You've, you've not had, I guess, I, I guess from your background as well, from a PT background, you've probably not, not had that, um, I guess, background knowledge of of a, of a, a BSc or at the time you, you'd not done your MSc, like you didn't have that background of knowledge. But you obviously he saw something in you to to sort of work with. You know that he knew that you'd roll your sleeves up and you know and, and you were the first person he rang. I'm sure you know for that for that role. Then was actually guess... second person. A second person <laughs> rang me. He told me about the GPS units and then he told. Me... <laughs> Couldn't afford someone. Some, he asked someone else, but he couldn't afford them. So he thought, right, who's next in my list? Who's next? Uh, but you're up there. But you're up there. In all, in all, yeah, in all seriousness, you've got to be like, involved in the conversation, don't you? you yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and that, and that's that's coming from a, obviously a place where you've not had any experience. You you lack, you know, that educational mm-hmm. background as well. So to get to get that first start was obviously a good good yeah. start. And and since then, you've obviously, I guess, tell us a bit more than what happened after. I guess your your time at Cass. Yeah, during my time at Cass, Cass was Cass was so interesting, man. And I look at I look back at it now, and, and we spoke briefly before there about if you can learn um, how to be an SNC or a physio at somewhere like Castleford, you can you can literally go anywhere, you know. Um, and you know, Castleford at the time didn't have the resources or the kind of um, set up that anywhere had. But I, I kind of then prided myself. I remember we used to do like mobility sessions. Um, you know, down in the Tiger Bar, like literally, it was a bar, um, and we used to have to like move pint glasses out of the way before uh, we we started doing foam rolling and stuff. The foam rolling wasn't foam rolling; it was on pipes. Uh, we used to like cut off pipes and stuff, you know. So I always kind of have taken that everywhere in my career, um, and I kind of like I, I kind of always say I, I can do a session anywhere, you know, and I don't need a lot of. Um, kind of resources and then flip fast forward a bit you know when I came to Leeds uh, had everything you know had everything that Castleford didn't and it was almost too much in a sense of you know you, you kind of then look at what you actually need to do a session and then the, the kind of need to haves and nice to haves become really clear you know if you've got all the brand new toys and you don't really know how to use them or you probably don't need them they're probably more of an annoyance than anything um, and I, again, that's a massive influence still in my career because like what I do, um, I'm still this way, but I do simple stuff really well, in my opinion. Um, and that, that's what I achieve, uh, that's what I aspire to do is to kind of forget the complex stuff, but to do the, the simple basics uh, really, really well all the time. Because if you, if you look at the, the stuff that's going to get you Instagram followers or if that's the type of coach you want to be, it's not, it's not going to do the athlete any good. Um, so yeah, so at, at Castleford, it was really interesting experience as I went from um, the assistant and then six months later, um, James Parks actually left. Uh, he was the head. So all of a sudden I was kind of like interim head position and uh, a, good, a good friend of both of ours, Ben Sterling, was the physio at the time. And uh, probably any of, your, any of your listeners know who Sterling is, but he's, he's pretty ruthless. Isn't he? <laughs> yeah, he's a pretty ruthless character. Yeah, Ruthless character, but great, mate. And it, like, still, I remember a funny story, but like, he used to call it the red pen. So he used to get me to write programs for the boys. And then he would like literally take a red pen out and be like, don't like that, don't like that, 
and he, he would always question me and he'd be like um why have you got that in there in the program i'm like oh bench press and he's like yeah why have you got it i'm like because it's bench press and everybody does bench press and he's like well if you don't know why if you can't tell me why then you don't know enough about it so he'd literally set me homework to find out why people bench press and like and i was just like i'd come in the next day it was like school i was like well um i've done this research on this and he's like great and it was so and I, this is what i tell everyone this story now mate but i still do it to this day if i put an exercise in to a program i'll say why is that in there what what is the reason that is in there for what am i trying to achieve why is it paired with that exercise um and if you can't answer that if you don't understand your why then you, you, it's it shouldn't be in there yeah we, we call that in, in physio speak if you like we call it like clinical reasoning so understanding yeah. like why you're doing a mm -hmm. say a particular treatment technique or um prescribing a particular rehab exercise but it's just that it is the why about what you're doing isn't it and understanding yeah. like why you're intervening in a certain way yeah and that's it separates us doesn't it because i mean i'm sure uh, physio is the same but you could probably download someone's SEL return to play program online and then if you just sort of literally put it into someone's an athlete you're working with and you don't understand it uh you might get there you might not but I, I guarantee you're not going to be a better physio for it so that's what Sterling was always trying to install on me is like why am I doing it um, and understanding it and and again it's, it's something I have to, to this day so um that was a real learning experience mate from Actually, like looking back now, I was the assistant and there's funny stories about, um, about Cass. Um, like, because the boys used to play football at lunchtime and the, boy, like, the boys used to play football and I would join in. So I would come down, like Parks would say, right, uh, Blackie, go and get, go and get the boys because they're, they're late for the session. And uh, I would go down and they're all playing football. And I'd be like, and they'd be all like, right, Blackie, pass and cross this in. And like 15 minutes later, I'm playing headers and volleys with them in the, you know, outside. So like, and then one of the boys actually grabbed me and said to me, you know, the boys are trying to like test you almost and you're failing. You're, you're kind of like, they, you should be an authoritarian figure. You should be the one that, that does that. And, and I missed that balance. And, you know, when I became the head or the interim head, you know, all of a sudden you're like, trying to be serious, trying to have a straight fight. No, boys, you've got to do this. And 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 they're like, shut up. Like, you, you were playing football with us yesterday. And now you think because you're head that you're, um, you know, it's any different. But um, like, it's, it's funny now. And, and being honest, I, when I work with England, I know I'm fast forwarding a bit, but I work with England as the head of human performance. I know you love that one, Andy. <laughs> uh, when I worked there, there was Castleford players there, like Daryl Clark and Adam Milner. And I'm going like, right, head of performance from England, Wayne Bennett's there, I'm walking in and, and Adam Milner's like, potato. And like, I'm just like, well, no, no, you can't do that anymore. I'm, I'm serious now. I'm like, you know, top of the position. And they're going like, shut up, like, yeah, I'm not listening to you because they remember me from, from those days as the assistant, you know, and uh, that kind of stuff stays with you, I suppose. I think, I think there's a balance there, isn't there? Like, is in, I think one of your skills you from when, when we work together like you, you you're always obviously a very personable character and you have a great relationship with with staff and, and the players that you've worked with and i think that's really important 
Um, but there is there is a balance, isn't there, to be to be, I guess, professional when you need to be, and you can have a laugh and a joke clearly. And sports a great environment that allows you to to sort of do that. But again, yeah. that's probably then looking back, and, it, and at the time you wouldn't have obviously one of the players flagged it for you maybe for the first time, but you wouldn't have realised it. You just thought you were doing what you thought was right, but in hindsight, yeah. you, you maybe would have done that a bit differently. Yeah, hundred percent, man, and it is, and it's listen, it's the best job in the world to be around. Uh, and obviously in our environment, we were around 30 rugby players and they're all good mates and the banter's flowing all the time. And, and to be honest, man, I was head of physical performance was my last role at Leeds and I crossed the line, you know, on occasions. And I would always kind of like either drive home or reflect on it that day and be like, no, I shouldn't have done that. And uh, I think you still you still make mistakes like that and you can go in with the best intentions not to, to kind of cross that line. But I, I, and you're 100% right. I always considered myself as player facing um, you know, and, and to be the kind of spokesperson for the players in that sense and, and you know, how they're feeling um, and bridge that gap between coaches, you know, and, and never be like the, the S&C coach who can't have a laugh, who uh, is really strict and always talking about rules and stuff. I always found a way to, um, to, to, to make it seem like I was not one of them, but uh, I was on their side. And I always say that like, you can have the best programs in the world, but if you can't inspire someone to do that program, then um, it's 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 worthless, you know. Yeah, I, I think um, I honestly think in in a sports environment, I think being like a, an S and C coach is is harder in many respects than being a sort of physio. And and what you're saying there just was just made me thought of that, like the. You know the physio room, and, and you have to spend a lot of time there. Is like a safe haven for players, and they'll come in yeah, and yeah. tell you all sorts of things. Stuff, some stuff you don't want to know. What's going on in the home life and everything else. But um, it's a safe <laughs> haven, and they and they and the players know. I think because because you look after them medically, that you've always got there. You know, and, and say maybe some therapists don't sometimes, but and get influenced by coaches, etc. But you have their best interests at heart, and every yeah. decision you're going to make for them. Whereas um, I think a lot of other practitioners sc snc coaches like technical coaches sometimes um sometimes veer towards the that performance side of things and it's all about getting that result getting that w of the game at the weekend and sometimes that is a detriment to a player's health for example yeah, um exactly. but i think so then obviously trying to then be say an snc coach and be you know have good rapport with a player and, and be on their side and almost be quite friendly with them but then again be you know, still driving them to to be able to compete and perform, I, I think is very, really challenging. It's easy yeah. for me to go to a coach and say, you know, it's a difficult conversation because they're not going to be happy, but this player's not playing this weekend. It's yeah. black, it's pretty black and white. And he oh, might yeah. argue till the cows come home and being the players here telling him, just, just say you're all right, just yeah, come out and yeah, trade yeah. anyway, and all all these this sort of chaos that goes on. But um I think that's you know, I've I've told the player, I've told the coach what's going on and it's it's difficult and you know, those conversations are really hard to have. Because um, they're not nice conversations, but I think it's a lot easier than the conversations and, and I guess that environment and that role that you have with yeah. with the players. Yeah, no, you're you're 100 right, mate. Like um, we would always have to try and find a way to make them not make them train, but to put them in the position to train and to improve performance. Um, but I think uh, you know being a, being uh, players understanding that you're after looking after their best interests. To, to train and play and to get them on side with that fact um, is great. And just as you were speaking there, like we've, how many times have we encountered so, um, you know, screening processes that players just didn't believe in because if they were feeling a bit tight, they were made to train anyway. Um, or if they weren't 
you know, they were having a bad day or whatever. They were, you know, oh, shut up and get on with it, you know. Um, whereas, again, I was player facing. So a bit like yourself, and, and I know you were great at it with the time we worked together, but um, I would always act in the best interest of the players. And I think they started to, to see that. Um, and to, so the, the, best, the best example is, you know, as you know, when a player is doing a session, they want to be individualized. They want to be, oh, I feel a bit like this. All right, well, what we'll do is you do the team bits and we'll take you out of this. And that's all they want in the sense that someone's looking after me here rather than I've seen your screening stuff. You're really a bit low, but you should train anyway. Go on ahead, crack on. Uh, and then maybe they break down, maybe they don't. Um, very, very few times they do. But we've got, they've got to trust us in that process that um, it's for their best interests and it's for the good of, of them as, as, a, as an athlete. And sometimes they're not feeling good, but you kind of say, right, we'll push through this session, do some extra recovery or whatever it is. Um, and you find a way. That's what I always said, find a way. And there's numerous occasions when, like, gym's the big thing. Gym's a big stress. And, and sometimes players, you know, in season especially, don't want to lift weights, don't want to do any strength training. So they come in a bit fatigued from field. Um, the coaches kind of smash them, as you said. And I have to go, right, I need something out of this player. And, and, if, and if I put my arm around that player and say, right, I want you to focus on this exercise and this exercise, but I'll change this one for you. Um, you've got them on side straight away. Automatically, they're thinking, right, he wants me, he wants me to do this. He wants me to, um, this is going to make me better. And, and he's thinking about me, he's thinking about my interests and so on. And you might not change anything. You might have it in your head that, uh, you know, and I always say like, what's the, what's the big rock in the program? What, what's the, actually the purpose? So if it's, if it's uh, lower body stimulus for that day, strength stimulus, and you say, right, well, can you do two sets instead of three? And they're like, oh yeah, okay, okay, thanks, thanks. And you're like, you know, you, you got to that place, but you know what I'm saying, right, mate? It's, that's the balance, isn't it? Yeah, that's the balance. I was, I was thinking actually, as, as you were talking, I, I remember back to, so fast forwarding your career a little bit, not to, to stop filling the gaps, you, you went from Cast, didn't you, and then, then to, to the Rhinos, yeah. we spent a, a few years working together. And I always remember, um, to give a little bit of context, in 2014, we, we had a pretty you know, pretty decent season, got to the Challenge Cup final, um, having lost I don't know, five finals over the last yeah, five yeah. years or something like that, and, and we ended up beating your old team, Castleford, at That's Wembley, right. and then which was great. But then the season fell apart, didn't it? After that, I don't, I don't think we won a game <laughs> after that, and literally bombed out of the playoffs. The following season, we'd started off pretty pretty well. You know, we were doing okay. We'd got to Wembley again. We'd we'd, we'd won again at Wembley, and I always remember there was almost we had loads of like meetings and stuff, and it was there was almost this like worry and anxiety around the playing group that. It was going to be like 2014 repeated that yeah. we we're just going to fall off a cliff again. And I always remember, um, and I think it's a mass, this is a, it's had a massive bearing on the remainder of the season. You took, so you basically ran the sort of SNC, the gym based programming, didn't you? Yeah. Uh, and, and you totally changed what they were doing. So they ended up doing like a block of training, which was unlike anything they've ever done before. They're doing all the strongman stuff outside, if you can if you remember. So it was That's in like right. yeah, August, yeah, yeah. August time. Um, into September, bit basically at the back end of the season, yeah, uh, yeah. and there was a lot of um, resistance. I was, re I remember, like about well, why are we getting them to flip tires and do this prowler stuff? They've not done a lot of this. It's clearly done some stuff. They've done similar movements. They've lifted weights off the floor in the gym, but it was very different. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, and at the time, if, if, I don't know. If looking back now, I don't know what you think about it, but had it had gone wrong, um, that that would have been easy for people, I guess, in that environment, the players and also the staff. 
um, myself included, to point, point the finger at you to say, <laughs> you know, we've, we've, uh, here we are again. We've fallen off a cliff. The players have got you no, know, not performing well, and it's because it's because Blackie's changed all this stuff and done all this other all this other shit we've never done before. Yeah. Um, but just that, I was thinking about that when you were talking, and what what was your like process or thought process about about that? Yeah, I mean, like it probably happened organically, and and. Um, you know, you can look back with hindsight now and go, yeah, it was a definitely purposeful thing, you know. But as you said, I ran the program, a uh, gym program anyway that year. And obviously, me and you had a real close relationship and that. And and I was always, because we had this golden generation, didn't we? Of like Sinfield, Peacock, uh, Maguire, Burrow, like all these boys who'd done, you know, 10 plus years of strength training, traditional strength training as well. Um so to get, and I walked into that atmosphere where um, they'd been doing it for that long that I had to find something to engage them. And I always remember like, even someone like Danny Maggs, uh, who was never great in the gym, was he? Um, but I used to do sort of like Franz Bosch stuff because I was reading a lot of Franz Bosch stuff at the time. Um, and he loved it and he absolutely lapped it up. And it like literally, you know, he'd score a try on the weekend or he'd come back and be like, I felt great when I was making that support line. And I'm going, yeah, but you're Danny Maguire and you're, um, you've done that. You've scored 200 plus tries doing that, you know, but it's the, it's the, it's the actual impact you have is a lot of psychological, especially in season. Um, and as I say, like little changes, but also I always felt like educating them on the changes and why they're doing it was really important. Um, so I would always start the gym sessions off with kind of like what we're doing, why we're doing it uh, and bringing them along the journey. Um, and I do this to this day, um, Andy, when I work with a new team or um, when I'm on my first day at a new club, I'll say, like, listen, this is your program. It's not my program. And, um, you know, you have to own it. You have to be happy with it. Um, and you have to, you know, buy into it. Because if I just write this program, you, you ain't, you're not going to get benefits from it. You know, and, and we always have a discussion of, oh, I'd like to do more of this or I'd like to do more of that. Um, and usually I'll try and reason them with my why and say, well, this is why we're doing this, this exercise or, and usually you kind of come off winning, you know, but the athlete has to, has to really own the program. And that was the, the thing with the, with the treble. I kind of did think we needed something different because we'd done that much of it and the players were so fatigued. I mean, when you get to Wembley, we found it last year with Rhinos as well, we got to Wembley and, and crashed at the season, you know, our season was just over after that because it's an emotional effort, isn't it? Um, and it's such an emotional thing to get over that line at the Challenge Cup that, you know, Monday morning comes and you go, right, let's go again, boys. We're going to, you know, do this gym session. They're like, going, oh, Jesus, like we've just literally um, kind of gone through all that all year. Like season's like, you know, 36 rounds or something, you know, so to keep the boys motivated, to keep the boys um, engaged in the program, I think you always need to find something that changes it and you know and, and you have very very little impact as a snc in season and you kind of i always talk about like spinning plates and you kind of like you know this player's gone down and fatigued so yeah bring him back up and you know it's, it's that management of it but um that was what probably what the squad needed at that time um, and I wanted the suntan, so I wanted to go outside. <laughs> yeah, it was a nice part of the, the year one. It was like August, September time. So, nice. uh, but just to, I guess, for those guys who listen, who might not know. So, I guess following on from that, I guess, 
successful 2014 season and then sort of bombing out the rest of the season 2015 was very different so we again went to Wembley won the Challenge Cup and then went on to finish top of the league winning the league leaders and then actually go to the grand final and win and, and win like the domestic treble and I think Black is right in saying you see it all the time with with sports teams and you see why so few teams win multiple trophies in a season it, I think it is that mental exhaustion from winning a trophy you put so much into to get in there when you actually get there it's a bit like and it's very, very difficult in, in team sport when there is multiple trophies to uh, to go and do it again in a short space of time. And just like you're saying, coming on a, two days after um, being uh, you know on, on the piss all weekend to say, you know, come on, we're, we need to hammer this gym session. We need to get back out on the pitch. We've got a game against against Wigan on Friday night, you know, and yeah, yeah. they've had a week off. They've you know obviously not not won that trophy. They're gunning for the next trophy. Um, they're coming for you, coming for your heads. It's it's really really tough. So I kept I think what Blackie did in that season and changing things up. And there were some of the things going on as well with the coaching and stuff, which was great. I think it did freshen the players up and, and got them in a good frame of mind to, to try and perform. And, and like you said, I think we both know we, we were fortunate to work with a very good team who yeah. um, some of the guys coming to, you know, the very end of their career and, and wanting to, you know, to go out on a, on a real high. And it was great to, great to be part of them. Um, yeah. From that, from that sort of um, end of that season, that was your last season, wasn't it? With the Rhinos. And then you yeah. moved across, um, to work with Josh Carnegie. So I'll say move across, we, at the time, the Rhinos and Josh Carnegie, who are rugby union side, based in Leeds, who actually use the same facilities, so trained at the same place. So you went from being um, to the head guy there, didn't you? And how, how did yeah. you sort of find that transition from, I guess, from league to union um, and also from being, I guess, from being, I guess, a first team, you know, coach to being the, the main man and the head of the department? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's probably really easy in the fact that, um, we just won the treble, you know, so I automatically had sort of kudos behind that because no matter what, like people still to this day think that you influenced her or it's on your CV, so you must have had something to do with it, you know, and we both know that, you know, again, like you acknowledge there, we work with an unbelievable squad of players and, um, you know, we were very fortunate to be a part of that at the same time because the players are the one that determines a lot of the success and outcomes, you know. Um, but, you know, coming from, and it was, it was funny, wasn't it? Because I, I made a big leaving speech, didn't I? About leaving Rhinos on the high and then moved my desk eight metres, I think it was, <laughs> to the Carnegie side. Um, but yeah, so I kind of came, I, I obviously, we shared a building with, with Carnegie, didn't we? And it was always, there was always like a, a tension, wasn't there? Of like, you know, we were sharing facilities and Rhinos, Rhinos owned the facilities. So it was kind of like, you know, you, they have to go to the gym or they have to um, vacate when we wanted it. And they kind of worked around us. So it was going like that. But I never seen that. I never, like, you know me, I, I'll talk to anybody and, and, and kind of be personable with anybody. So I kind of had a relationship with some of the players anyway. Um, and I think, to be honest, I think at the time they were ready for a change as well and a different voice and, and kind of understood a bit more about my philosophy because uh, they'd seen the Rhinos train. Um, so I think they were kind of ready for that. So um, in terms of like first impressions, I suppose, that was really easy for me because I just literally, you know, come from, from winning the treble. We, we, I think we won treble on the, um, no, it was the night before it was my first game. So I, we played against Doncaster on the Friday night and then Saturday was the grand final. Um, so it was kind of like, oh, this guy, this guy, S&C guy, Blackie, he's like, he's got the grand final tomorrow. And then a Monday morning, I went into work 
no, like, oh, congratulations. And I'm like, yeah, sweet, let's crack on here. Do you know? So automatically, I feel like I had their attention straight away. Um, and obviously the confidence to lead the program, like, um, and obviously I was, I was working under a, a head of performance at, at Leeds. Um, but I was, I was running a lot of the gym-based stuff and, and had, had their trust to run a lot of the things. So I had confidence in myself. Um, and you know, could stand in front of a group and uh, talk and and to to explain my philosophy and and a bit more behind me. Probably it was, it was all bull, but uh, you say something with confidence and people believe you, don't they? Yeah. How, how did you find though in that sort of that role of changing where you had people working under you, so other staff, and and obviously you were then were you were the guy on the SNC side who was you know directly in the ear or getting the flack off. Um, the head coach where whereas I guess in a, a less senior role you're sort of protected a little bit from those types of things aren't you yeah and again like there's massive differences in rugby union and rugby league man and it's funny you, you say about like getting an earful from the coach because you know I got plenty of earfuls from from Brian Marcus <laughs> <laughs> so uh you know I got we could tell you some stories there couldn't we but um so I was kind of used to it. Do you know what I mean? I was kind of used to like talking to coaches and, and the thing about, think about me and my career and even going back to my, when I was talking about that internship is I've never considered myself a shrinking ballot. I've always had an opinion and, and said it, do you know what I mean? And said it in the, had a confidence to say it in a group atmosphere. And there was never like one to like, you know, shirk back or not say things. And I've gotten trouble a lot in my career because of that. And so when I went to Carnegie, um, I was working under Brian Redpath there and, and I just I just I embraced it you know I embraced having a relationship with him and, and he was actually a big idol of mine so it was quite easy um, I grew up watching him play um, he played for Scotland you know when I was growing up and loving rugby union so um, it was just it was a seamless transition I would say but I know what you're saying like is you know you go you go from you know, all these all these eyes are on you straight away, aren't they? As the head, you know, and 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 one thing I would say to, to to your guys about, and then looking back at the Castleford days when I was playing football with them, is really enjoy that because enjoy the time when you don't not expected to know all the answers because the time will come when you are expected to know them. And I always I always say, my last six years of my career, my main job has been to answer stupid questions all day. <laughs> Lucky, where, where am I meant to be now? Lucky, what time am I on gym? Lucky, what 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 days off have we got next week? And you're like, just just give me a minute. Do you know what I mean? So you're like literally as S and C and physio, and you're the, you're in the front line, aren't you? So you're yeah. like rolling with all these questions all the time. And um, you know, when you're in a head position, you're expected to know what's he doing, why is he doing it, you know, all this kind of stuff. There's there's no hiding places there, but I embraced that. I loved that because I wanted to be in control of that. And I'd probably experienced things in the past that um, I wasn't okay with. So, and I knew that if I was in a head position, I would have done that differently. And then I had to, I had to live by it, you know? Yeah, I think that's really interesting what you're saying. And I, and I 100% agree. Look, you probably don't realise at the time, I, I've studied to many of the like therapists that I, that I sort of work with and mentor that, you can really enjoy like the first part of your career because because mm. largely you can do it without like fear and, and pressure and, and particularly talk about you know sport as well and my experiences and if I think back now 
my time as, say, the assistant first-team physio was probably, like, one of the best times involving the big games, but, again, probably protected from those, like, big decisions. If I had a problem, yeah. I'd just go and ask the head physio who would help yeah, me support yeah, me and so. do that. And then whilst I always, like, quite early in my career, I... I strived and I wanted to be the head guy because I wanted to be that the guy making the big decisions. But mm. the flip side of that is it is it is there's pressure, isn't there? And you're going home late in bed at night thinking, well, I, hope, I hope so and so play comes in tomorrow and is, is better than he was today. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna have to have a conversation with the coach tomorrow. He's gonna like, I don't know, he's not gonna be happy. How's that gonna go? Whereas you don't, I guess you don't, I don't have those types of pressures yeah. in, in that that set assistant role. So again, yeah. enjoying the enjoying those early years and Again, that sort of feeds onto, again, a big piece of advice I, I give a lot of therapists is if you've got an area of, of work that feel like you want to get into, whether that is sport or private practice or some of the guys listening here will be the NHS, is to try and to get into the area that you want to work in, you know, as soon as you can. So you can you can enjoy those sort of years. And, you know, we're, we're a bit longer in the tooth now and we're a bit older and we've got uh, wives and families and stuff. And then you get to the point where some of those things you just don't work do they around your sort yeah. of lifestyle and what other things are going on so I think you know getting your get you say like foot in the door like you did at, at Castleford early in your career like I was able to do at the, at the Rhinos was great and mm-hmm. uh, then you get those experiences early you can sort of tick them off can't you your, on your uh, your CV and your you know yeah. success sheet if you want to call it that and they have those great experiences with you know with teams and athletes and people that you're working with and then Ultimately, then you can you can do what you want, can't you? You can go and work somewhere else. If, you, if you're driven by earning more money or you want more time, you've got the option to do that. Yeah, definitely, mate. And like, uh, and actually, I've always said this, that I would have enjoyed it a lot more. I sh- I, you know, I, if I had my time again, I would have, I would have actually sit back and, and enjoyed it more and, and purposefully as well, because I always felt like I was in a rush to be in the next spot. Even, even the treble season, I was like, right, well, you know, in my career, this is going to lead to this and this is going to lead to this. And I didn't sit back and enjoy it, you know. So you're, you're 100% right, mate. Enjoy, enjoy the time when you can make those mistakes and, and you know, not be massively punished for them and not be massively um, pressured. And listen, like, I'm probably like you now, we, t- we talk about being long in the tooth and, and having experience and careers and stuff. And I couldn't go back to an assistant role, I don't think. You know, I couldn't go back to someone else telling me to deliver something a certain way if I didn't believe, you know, because my um, my principles and non-negotiables are so strong now and so kind of chiseled that I think I would struggle to, to do it someone else's way if I didn't truly believe it, you know? No, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think, and that's why you see, I think, um, I guess maybe changing, say, sports might be a different where you might accept a, yeah. a less senior role in a different sport you don't, you've never worked in before or something like that. But I think, yeah, and I think it's why you see you don't see, you know, therapists or SNC coaches or or the people doing that going from head positions to assistant yeah. position, etc. Because again, you look at things through a different sort of lens, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> I was laughing there to myself about you were saying not enjoying things. I would remember after uh, I was actually talking to uh, Ben Harper, who was another guest, who was a physio on the podcast a little while ago, and we were talking about this not so long ago, and we were talking about after the 2015 Wembley. And we came back and obviously we'd had a fair few, too many beers on the night before. And we'd come back to the, uh, the stadium and we're doing like a bit of a homecoming type thing. You know, players walking around with a trophy, et cetera. Loads of thousands of fans in the stadium and stuff. I always remember like, we're all like hanging. We've obviously had uh, like, obviously too many beers the night before and enjoying the, the win and stuff. And we'd uh, travel back up on the coach and we went into like the like pavilion and there was like the players there and stuff and we're all there and there's loads of food. 
and there was like pizzas and burgers and chips and stuff. And there was some pot, pot you know what I'm going to say, don't you? There was yeah. some like uh, pork pies on our table and there was like, I'm sure there was me, you and Ben and a few of the players sat around. And I looked around to like Blackie and he's there like dissecting this pork pie. So taking all like the pastry off and then just eating like the middle, uh, the middle of the pie. Because obviously yeah. you, I know, I know your diet's changed a bit since then, but you were like pretty, pretty strict. But I know that's a bit of a, bit of like a funny story or et cetera, but probably like, probably was what you were saying there about maybe just not enjoying the uh, yeah, yeah. the time. And, you know, I, I probably went the wrong sides of that sometimes and probably had a few too many beers at certain times. <laughs> no, um, no. I got myself no. in a bit of bother. But, um, but again, that was probably just enjoying, enjoying the experience and trying to, yeah. uh, I, I, why, why it was, I, I was always quite um, aware of that, that um, I know one of the coaches you mentioned before, and there was a, you know, there was a film made about it called um, As Good As It Gets. Yeah, like he always used to say, didn't he? Like this might be the best, the best time in your career. Like this might be as, as good as it gets. It might be the best. Yeah. You know, you might never get to another final again. You don't know what's going to happen, do you? No. Uh, and, I, and I was always, even before, before then, I was quite conscious of that. Yeah. That, you know what? What I don't, you don't know, watch around the corner um, to try and enjoy those. Like I say, I might, I might have gone a bit overboard now and again. But um, again, hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? And I'm, yeah. I'm sure still those those um, experiences are still obviously great, which sort of feeds in very well to the next question I was going to ask you what of all the successes success you've had what would you pick out as being again a big highlight for, for you yeah well like obviously um as I touched on earlier like listen to be a part of that treble winning team or to be you know, in the background of it oh my god like just looking back now it sends shivers up your spine doesn't it to be uh to be where we were and stuff and but like when you're at Leeds it's just expected all the time isn't it it was just year on year they're always competing so so I've actually looked at it and said like you know in actual fact like last year's uh, cup win with Leeds would would sit out a bit more for me a because I was obviously the head of physical performance so I'd kind of jumped up to that position where um, a wee bit more pressure on me um, and to deliver probably a bit more control in the whole program rather than just one part of it um, but also like where we'd come from because obviously after after the treble, they went through some bad years, didn't they? Of, you know, not being a success, you know, there was obviously some kind of like bottom four relegation talk, you know, when I first came in in 2018. And mate, like obviously you had left at the time as well in 2018. I think you found out I was coming back, so you didn't want to work with me. <laughs> um, like a totally different place, totally different place. We. You know, there was no more Sinfields, Peacocks, Burrows. Um, there was all these kind of new names and, and new people that, and looking back, I, I thought, like, these, these guys aren't Leeds players. They aren't, um, they don't know what it takes to be a Leeds player and stuff. And I, I felt like we massively lost our identity um, from the, from compared to the first time I walked through the doors in 2014. So, um, you know, we had to get that back. Because the thing about Leeds fans, as you know, is they expect success because they've had so much of it, they're just used to it all the time. So, um, you know, when we went to Wembley last year and, and won as a team and, um, you know, there wasn't those big, big names there. Um, that sort of meant more to me in the sense of, um, as, as, an, as an achievement. And obviously we're obviously still in the background of this achievement, but I, I don't know, it just felt different to me. And probably because you say like, probably where you were then, 
um, I was last year. Like I just knew I had to enjoy it because it might not happen again, you know. And um, even when we won grand final at, at Old Trafford and eighty thousand people or whatever it was, you like Monday morning comes and a year comes and you forget about it or whatever. But you know, I I knew when I when I when we won Challenge Cup last year, I knew I, I had to savor it and I had to kind of live in the moment and enjoy it a bit more and I, I actually had a load of sweets on the way back home so yeah 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 we I think we've me and the other physios Gaz polished off a full bottle of qual, um full bag of quality straight <laughs> a few magnums man I went absolutely mental a few magnums cool so just again again just to fill people in who might not know about I guess the rest of your story so you after the, the role at Carnegie you went to them work for England didn't you and yeah part of the you know in the England rugby league side who we made the World Cup final in 2017, uh, which has been pretty special. You know, very close to Aaron getting up yeah, yeah. at stupid o'clock in the morning to watch that and uh, cheering you on and the boys and obviously hoping for a win. We obviously just didn't quite just get there. Um, and then you, you obviously, like you say there, you came back to the Ryans, didn't you, as the as the head head of performance. Yeah. Um, so during your time, you've worked with some like successful teams and other teams that have not been quite uns- you know, been what would maybe say unsuccessful. What would yeah. you say the key differences between those teams were? Um, well, obviously, God, like looking back in 14 and whatever, when I walked through the door and, and there was just a different atmosphere of, of kind of like, there was a shared consensus. There was a shared belief. And it was, again, looking back at something that you, you probably had a massive influence on. Like everybody wanted to train and be better. And I always like look at, Teams, the bad team, not the bad teams, that's hard to say, but the teams I've worked for, uh, and that was the difference. They all wanted to train and get better. And, you know, other teams I've worked for have been, like, not wanting to do that and seeing it as a job and seeing it as, God, do I have to train again today, you know? And, and there is there is those conversations that go on in sport, isn't there? Um, but I always talk about, like, the culture side of it. And if you're, you're top earners in the squad are the ones that are setting the high standards and holding people accountable to them. Um, that's much, much easier than if your top earner was not so, because uh, I've, I've obviously experienced both. Um, if, you're, if your top earner is the one that is missing sessions or kind of, you know, in, they must have a massive influence on in the rest of the squad. Um, and that's what I kind of do now is in my practice and, and what I would say advise people to do is, is to cling on to those, you know, the guys who are setting the good standards and have their ear, me as a head and being player facing, I would work out who my leadership group is and I would kind of bounce ideas off them all the time, make them feel part of the um, conversation. You know, what do you think of the schedule? And I know pretty much I'm going to lead the schedule, but listen, I'm trying to do this. And as soon as you get, as soon as you get those boys on side, then um, you know, it makes your job so much easier. But uh, if you have more of those, if you have more good guys, and more professional players than uh, than not. It's it's so much easier. But in terms of the England stuff, mate, like um, it was it was a not it, it changed my perception on players so much. Like the little little time I spent with England, I you know players like Bateman and uh, you know Tompkins and all those kind of players. And <laughs> mate, England England was crazy. Like you'd have loved it. It was just like obviously uh, Doss was there with me at the time as well. And mate, unbelievable the amount of like, you know, uh, bonding they did, let's let's call it that, um, you know, off the pitch. And I thought like, 
geez, these guys aren't professional because I had a mindset of what professional looked like. You know, these guys aren't professional. They're not eating the right things. They're, you know, um, eating little things or eating chocolate on a, you know, day before a game. And you're like, God, this is crazy. But actually, like in hindsight, now looking back and at the time, those players were so professional because when it came to the moment of playing, they were so switched on. You know, they just literally flip a switch and 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 be, and all they wanted to do was win and 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 things. So, in terms of like successful cultures, I think you need that winning killer mentality in a, in a lot of teams, and that and that helps because like we're, as I said earlier, we're determined by the players, you know, and having a having a talented squad makes you makes you automatically look better, doesn't it, as a coach? Yeah, I think I think winning is obviously the outcome for you again. You sport as an example, but. It's that um, how you get there. There's obviously different, <laughs> very many different ways, isn't there, to to be to you know to to be part of a winning team or for, for athletes to perform, to patients to get to to the end sort of result. One thing you pick, I guess you were sort of saying there, I guess with what with what you just spoke about was, I guess managing people, isn't it, and managing yeah. um, a group of people. And I actually listened to, I bet you listened to it too. Um, there was a, a podcast recently on the High Performance Podcast with Eddie Jones. Right. And he talks about when he was a teacher uh, and he talks about before he got into sort of coaching and he used to do a lot of supply, supply teaching. So he used to go into a classroom and you know what, when you, when we were at school, you got a supply teacher, you were like rubbing your hands together thinking, oh, I can, I can sort of play up here. And he'd like scan the room and thinking, right, in this classroom, I've got 30 kids. They're going to have a crack here. Um, it's going to, could be the worst hour of my teaching career. So who do I, which, which of the students I can just leave alone? They're going to crack on. They're, they're, they're all right. Which are the ones I need to keep an eye on? Which are the ones that I need to get on side to get the whole group on side? And I think that's what you're saying there, aren't you? About yeah. getting the some of the big influences in an environment. If you get those types of players on your side and uh, it makes your job a whole lot easier, doesn't it? To, to influence yeah. the whole group. And if they're, yeah. if they're I guess, implementing like day by day, the standards and the professionalism that you, you want them to, the others follow, don't they? The younger yeah. players, the ones that look up to those players, that their peers, that guys are on the same level thinking, well, if he's doing that, I'm doing that. Yeah. It's it, man. It's, it's so interesting. I actually, I actually give this piece of advice to an intern um, about six months ago. And it's exactly that. Right. And, and it's like probably a little bit rogue, but um, I learned a long time ago about the, the four bird categories. I think I've told you, I've talked to you about it before. So you've got like peacocks, you've got uh, doves, you've got owls and you've got um, eagles. And that, just having that um, changed my perception on coaching and like controlling the group because there's these four birds have made up and they've all got, the, it's like a personality trait thing. Um, and you can see them straight away whenever you walk into an, an environment. A peacock's generally talking. Peacock's generally, you know, loud, talking, like making, talking shit basically. Um, so the one way I control you know, a bit like what Eddie Jones is saying there, um, is I would shut a peacock down straight away. Um, so I always talk about, like, I start a gym session off by bringing everybody in and explaining what we're doing, the reason we're doing it and stuff. And I would always make an example of a peacock if they're talking. You know, like that whole supply teacher of, oh, we'll wait for you. We'll wait for you. Don't worry. You finish your conversation then. And it just, it got the room on side because they're going right blackie's having a go at this at this peacock you know but then um and that was always the set the tone for the gym session that's not going to happen every time but 
what you said there about eagles and about owls, owls kind of want knowledge and want to know uh, why they're doing stuff. And you'd always explain to an owl why they're doing it. Uh, an eagle just wants to win. An eagle wants to be um, be the best. So you change your uh, personality and your how you approach people, how you talk to people based on how they are. Um, and that may I, I learned that from Saracens, a guy called Phil Morrow at Saracens. And he, he told me that in, I don't know, 2012 or something, and it completely changed my mindset and how I talk to people. Yeah, it's the delivery, isn't it? Like, and again, if we, we've talked a lot about sport because of our sort of backgrounds and things, but you've got a message, but you might deliver it completely different. So the conversation I have with you about an injured player as the SNC coach is completely different to maybe the head coach. Yeah. It's different again to the player. It's different again to one of his teammates who was asking about him. Again, it's the same information, but it's delivered yeah, yeah. in a different way. And again, exactly. it's, I guess, being, being flexible in a way to deliver it differently. So you might have an idea of, I can be walking in to see, see a head coach and thinking, this is why I'm going to tell this head coach about this. And you've just got them on a bad day. And you think, if I deliver it like that right now, that is, this is not going to go well. And even even things simple things like you might have, you know, people call it like a shit sandwich, don't they? If you've got like three bits of information, like two of them are quite good. Yeah. Uh, one's, one's bad. You give them a bit of good information, the shit bit in the middle, and then something good to finish with. And it's just, again, understanding um, what's going on one day you might just want to go in and he wants to know about that player and that's the bad bit of information and he's, he just wants to know that straight away and you, and you know that from when you start talking how so-and-so player so you then yeah. you then go and talk about someone else first is probably just going to try and piss him off yeah um, so then you go all right this is what's happening with so-and-so player and then he probably switches off after that and doesn't listen to the other two players because that's his star player that's the player he's worried about for the game but it's again, it's just managing managing people, isn't it? Managing personalities with talking, and, and I, th I think that's the art in what we do. Um, obviously, there's the clinical side of this is black and white, and this is how it is. But um, if I if I put that context into what a physio, if you're delivering new news, bad news to an owl, and um, that they're going to be out for a long period of time, you would give them all the information. So you would tell them what the injury is, what the mechanisms are, uh, what the process is, and then their expected return. Whereas if you speak to an eagle, you probably wouldn't give them as much information. You'd just say, right, mate, these are the markers we need to hit. We need to get you back running. We need to be, you know, hit this certain speed because that's going to get you back on the pitch as quickly as possible. And that you've got them straight away. Whereas a dove, you might say, listen, mate, I've got you. Okay, I'm. I've got your best interest. Doves are all about relationships and, um, you know, pleasing people. So, thing and a, and a peacock, you might just have a bit of a laugh with and say, "Well, this is it, mate. This is the this is the reason." And then you know, they're 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 kind of happy to share it and happy to have that news. But I always think that's the art in what we do, um, changing our approach. And I, I've seen so many coaches and physios, mate, that can't do that, can't change. Um, I always say, find a way. So if you if you if you if you think about someone who's got a squat, bad squat pattern or a bad movement pattern, and you you keep saying the same uh, teaching points to them to correct them, you go going. For me, it's belt buckle up, belt buckle up, belt buckle up, and you're thinking, man, he's not getting that. Why why is that person not getting that? What I'm saying, I keep saying it to them, and I'm like, because you're a bad coach or a bad physio, because you're not finding a way to deliver it. You know, everyone learns differently. Everyone. I'm always like, change your teaching point. You're the problem. It's not they're the problem. You know, if they can't get it, it's because you're not a good enough coach. 
You know, unless so you've got unless you've got a player that doesn't like it and doesn't want to do it on purpose to wind you up. Yeah, you know that as well. <laughs> but you, we talked earlier, didn't we, about managing players and about um, finding a way to get a player to do something. Right? And I always got this example of uh, a Leeds player who was, uh, let's call him WBW for now, um, you know, hated doing weights, hated doing any, anything like that. So I had to find a way, and this is one of my, um, you know, my favorite stories uh, about about you know, favorite examples of how I did that. So this guy, big strong guy, didn't like doing weights, didn't like doing. He actually said the barbell used to hurt his back, so he couldn't back squat. It used to leave a red mark, and I'm like, wow. Um, so I would say to him, and he was he was an eagle. He wanted to win, and he just wanted to. Um, very very knowledgeable guy as well, but. So I used to say, and that's fine, WBW, that's fine. You don't have to do that today because you're, you're the best in the world, um, you know, taking the pace obviously. Um, we're just going to have a competition about who can lift the most weight. And it's all about like, uh, you know, who's going who's gonna to lift the most, deadlift the most for two reps. And straight away, he was like, well, I, I'll do that. No, 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 mate. You just, you just go over there and do some stretching or something. No, 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 I'll do that. I'll lift the most weight in this room. I'm like, okay. And then automatically I found a way to engage him, you know, and to think he was like, oh God, Blackie's challenged me here. You know what I mean? And, and, and I, I it, you know, it doesn't matter what the, the means are, the outcome's the, the main point, you know? Yeah. It's just, that's the process and finding what, what switches people on. And I know exactly what you're talking about. And he's, he's an eagle and he's an absolute winner. And obviously, yeah, one, one of the world's best in his, uh, his position. Yeah. Um, Cool. So just the last probably couple of questions, uh, Blackie, before we sort of yes. finish up, um, you've been able to get to the top end of, of your, your profession, you know, both domestically and internationally. What, what again, again, I know you're a pretty humble guy and, and pretty modest guy, so you might find this quite hard to answer, but what, have, what are the reasons you think you've been able to do that? What set you apart from some of your peers who would have been in your same position as a, as a young S&C guy wanting to get to the top of sport and what's been the difference between, say, you and, and, and those guys? Um, I think, like, obviously, the, the theme of the whole um, time when we spoke about my internship at Castleford, and I was always pretty confident in, in how I delivered things and, and uh, had an opinion on things. And I, I really, that doesn't, hasn't come by accident, I don't think. I've always reflected on things, and I've always not wanted to do something a certain way because someone told me to. I always wanted to go and try it. Um, trying to do it my own way, see if it works, reflected on it. And I would, I would go to Saracens. I would, I would like, and a big thing about where I, where I got to where I was, and I, I make no apologies about this, but I was a networker. And, and it's like almost an embarrassing thing for people to say that, isn't it? Because it seems like slimy and stuff. But I wasn't, I didn't do it in a slimy way. I was like always asking, could I come down and, and observe and, and to meet different people? And, you know, st still people, I still ring those people today, you know, and, um, can hold a conversation with him and uh, I still like meeting new people and stuff like that. So, but I would go away from, from Saracens who were the European championships and um, champions. So I would go away and make notes about what they did well and what, what I would do differently. You know, and that sounds, it does sound really arrogant because, because they're Saracens, but I would, I wouldn't accept something because, you know, some of the best players in the world did something. I would, I would find a way if I can make, make it different. And uh, so I, guess, I suppose that made, uh, I, and what we alluded to earlier, I was, I was hard working and I didn't have that work-life balance. 
you know, and I, I remember at Castleford, they used to tell me to not come in the next day because I'd worked hard, you know, I'd worked for the academy, I'd worked for, um, did long hours with the first team, and then I went and did an academy match, and then they were like, right, well, why don't you have tomorrow off? And I'm like, no, like, I don't want time off. I just constantly was ruthless in, in my development. And, like, we've, we've both seen people who, I, I, I interviewed a guy um, for an internship a couple of years ago, and he was like, first question, he said, right, what days do we have off? And I was like, <laughs> I was just like, what, what do you mean? He goes, um, I'm getting married in two months time and I need that month off or whatever. And I'm like, okay, mate. Um, you know, and that, that was the, his thing of like, what time do we finish tomorrow? And you know, in sport, you know, if, if, you, if, that's, if that's the route you want to go down and, and you're young, you have to earn your stripes. You have to do things outside hours there's no set hours it's it's a ruthless kind of like time management thing isn't it um and i think i was always prepared and i had always a um clear plan of where i wanted to be and and i also embraced what i was um i wasn't a sports scientist i wasn't a physio um so i always i, I was a coach an snc coach who was interested in performance you know, so I embraced that early and understood it early. And then nothing really got in the way of that, you know. Cool. So I guess this um, will sort of finish up pretty, pretty cool. You, you've also mentioned you gave some really good advice there. If you want to give any additional advice to, say, a student or a new grad, whether they're a, you know, a therapist or even some SMC guys that listen to the podcast and they're wanting to take their first step towards their own you know, dream job, whether that's in sport or a different area, what, what sort of advice would you give them? Um, so, so first of all, I, I would say that I would I would um, go and meet and contact as many people as I could, people who are doing things at the top level as well. Um, you know, and the other thing I would say is get a broad perspective of other sports. You know, me, myself and you were were involved in rugby, and I know you've just moved to football, and that was probably a big life change for you, wasn't it? Of like, you know, you'd always been rugby, you'd always been around rugby. Um, and you probably, like myself, you probably didn't divulge into other sports, you know, and we get very, you know, bubble, don't we, off, um, off our sport, and we only talk to people in our sport, and you end up as, like, uh, confirming biases, isn't it? Of, like, oh, you're doing that? Yeah, we're doing that. Whereas other sports, mate, like, there's the rock climbing, there's badminton, and they're all doing little, little different things that you can take back to your thing. So that's the advice I would give is, broaden your horizons as much as possible the other thing i say mate I, I tell this to everybody coaches who ask me the similar questions is coach just go out and coach people like i remember i used to coach uh, my wife and be like oh do this and she was like no um and she, we used to have so many arguments you know because i would always be like no do this do that um and you know just coach people just go out and like like i did with wharfdale like um can i take the warm-up and, you know, the coach isn't going to say no to that. Um, but I went out and pushed myself into those positions. And, and then when, it, when I did go to environments, I would take notes. I would uh, and I'd made peace about the, co- the type of coach I wanted to be. I didn't try and be anybody else. Cool. That's some, uh, that's some awesome advice, uh, Blackie. Um, so just to finish up, uh, I just want to say thanks, thanks for jumping on, obviously, giving up uh, an hour or so of your time. 
I know you're a, I know you're a busy man and I really, really appreciate it. It's been great to catch up too. Um, where could people, I guess, touch base with you if I wanted to reach out to you and I'm sure you wouldn't mind fielding any sort of questions. How's the best the best sort of way to, to contact you? Um Oh, wow, anywhere really. I'm I'm on I'm on all social media platforms, mate. I'm on um Instagram, I'm on Twitter is the other one. Um but mate, if, I don't know if, if you do show notes or what, if you want to put my email on there or something. Uh as I say, mate, I, I don't I talk to anybody, I kind of like advise anybody and I always try to make time for people because um you know my career has been influenced by the people who made time for me. So I always kind of like, you know, sort of pay it back almost with that. And I'm just interested in talking to people. So uh, people can follow me on, I think it's like CD Reform on Twitter and, and Instagram, mate. And then uh, if you want to put my email in there, people can can get in touch basically and ask ask any questions away. Go away, right. Cool. So thanks again, Blackie, for, for jumping on. I'm sure you'll have a, an inbox full of uh, for questions and stuff when this uh, podcast goes live. So thanks again, pal. And we'll no uh, speak, speak very soon. Yeah, top man. Cheers, Andy. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the New Grad Physio podcast. Before you head off, I just wanted to make sure you did not miss this. Alongside his podcast, Andy posts a weekly blog on his website, www.newgradphysio.com You can access all his blogs and loads more resources like his recent PDF The 5 Breakthrough Steps to Confidently Treat the Shoulder Right Every Time Avoid Mistakes and Stop You Feeling Less Adequate Than Other New Grads This is Andy's most popular resource and has already been accessed by thousands of therapists just like you To get a copy of this PDF or to get more information about Andy's upcoming courses or find out more about his new grad physio membership, head to www.newgradphysio.com. Have a great day and we will catch you on the next podcast episode.